Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, and joining me here today is the man behind Sustainable Joes, a multifaceted sustainability project, including an upcoming documentary feature. Let's give a warm Netflix welcome to Mr. Steven Such. Hey, thanks, Dylan. You're welcome. Is that a, that cover? Like a, yeah, I, I loved it. Multi, multifaceted sustainability project. I mean, you pretty much hit the nail right on the head. Put that on the business cards. Yeah, it might be a little little wordy. It's a little wordy. I mean, it sounded fantastic sitting on this end of the table. Awesome. So is there anything cool that you've been watching on Netflix, Stephen, before we get into it? You know what? I love Star Trek Next Generation. And the other day, I, I mean, I remember the first time I talked to you, I was telling you my TNG fascination because I had never watched it until, oh, they're my breaks while I planned the documentary and now while we're editing the documentary. Um, they're my breaks in between all of those semi-tedious tasks. But unfortunately, I just noticed yesterday that like come March 31st, or excuse me, March 1st, TNG will no longer be airing on Canadian Netflix. Oh no. Yeah, pretty disappointing. How much, like how far in are you? Well, I'm not even finished. That's the worst part because I are actually- Are you close? Uh, are you going to be able to just like, all right, Joe's, I'm on, you're on the back burner for a little bit. <laughs> I need to finish TNG. I don't know that Joe's will ever be on the back burner of my life because it, it's pretty all-consuming con- all at this point in time. But uh, I'm on episode 10 of season 5, and I've been watching them sequentially, yeah. which apparently nobody watches them from episode 1 of season 1 through to... How else, I, how else would you watch it if you want to finish the whole thing? Well, most people, they just have always... They grew up with it. They watched it on TV. Well, so, they watched it on syndication, so they just watched it. It's like how we watched The Simpsons growing up. Like, it was just whatever absolutely. order it hit you, and then, oh, hey, it just so happens I've seen all of it now. Whereas I remember growing up, I was like, oh, I don't want to watch Star Trek. It was, like, boring. And now I'm absolutely fascinated by oh, it. Oh, man, TNG was, like, important in my household. Like, we had the series finale on tape. Really? Yeah, we had a... Well, yeah. Don't, don't tell me sure how it finishes, still, eh? <laughs> still in my parents' cupboard. I'd be very disappointed if you told me what happened right now. All right, well, the movie that we are here to talk about this week is a 2014 documentary directed by Kip Anderson and Keegan Coon. We're here to talk about Cowspiracy. Before we get into that, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. So the ways that Netflix describes Cowspiracy are as follows. First, when you hover over it, it says, A filmmaker blows the lid off a conspiracy of silence. The risks are heavy, but our planet's future is worth it. I, I remember, you know, when I was re-watching Cowspiracy, it was like, so I had a choice to continue down this path or to be silent. And then I realized that the choice wasn't a choice. And it's so dramatic. Yeah, I was like, that's so cheesy. Why can't we just choose to do the right thing? When you click on the title, the description changes to learn how factory farming is decimating the planet's natural resources and why this crisis has been largely ignored by major environmental groups. It's not bad. The genres this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are documentaries and political documentaries. And the mood it assigns is visionary. I didn't realize that all of those tags were in Netflix. They are. And I, I clicked on visionary just to see what else is in there. I was going to say, can you give me other examples? It's all documentaries. Yeah. It's all like, expand your mind a little bit, look outside, and a whole bunch of nature documentaries. So normally I like to ask why uh, why my guests chose the movie that they did, but th- it actually kind of came up just from talking to you that, hey, a fun movie to talk about would be Cowspiracy. And 
at first, I the reason I suggested it because I was I, I've never seen it before, so I was like, oh, a nature documentary, and you know, Stephen cares about nature, so let's do a nature documentary. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much of this movie was about sustainability mm-hmm. and how actually kind of how how closely meshed this project and your project could be. So. I mean, before you went back and rewatched it, you'd seen it before, I guess. Yep. So, I mean, what were your kind of feelings on it before you came back to, to visit it again? Well, I had heard a lot about it, right? Just to begin with. And obviously there was a focus on simply from the name that you could deduce. There had to be something to do with meat. Um, and in the space of sustainability, there's a lot of talk between, okay, should you be a vegetarian? Should you be a vegan? How do we allocate resources? So I was really curious to watch the movie at first. I remember my first impression was I really valued the information. Some of the information, you know, upon further reflection, I feel is a little outdated. But the, it's pertinent that the information gets out there. So if that was my like, that I, I valued the information, my dislike would have been, I feel like he kind of made people look stupid. And I'm not saying that, not to, you know, call a spade a spade, but I've learned that in this filmmaking process, as an editor, as I'm sure you've experienced, you're really in control of how somebody looks. Like I'm well aware of the fact that you could make me look like an idiot today <laughs> just by how you edit something. And I think they were they made a lot of people look like idiots. And a lot of people who I believe, are, or at least I have to hold on to the hope that they are in that industry trying to make a positive difference. Like you said, I appreciated the, the topics and the conversations that mm-hmm. were happening and specifically the, you know, the... The, the facts and the statistics that were coming out but kip anderson as a narrator there was something yeah. a bit off about that and i don't necessarily want i mean like you said like you know in your own projects you don't want to make people look bad so i don't want to necessarily spend a whole lot of time talking about how this guy is bad at his job but he does seem to be kind of borrowing from the the michael moore school of filmmaking where he's going after people uh trying to catch them off guard with these questions where he feels like he knows all the answers and then editing around that to, to make his point seem like it just it stopped that person dead in their tracks and they had no idea what to do with it. When, again, like you said, as an editor, you're in complete control of that because you just you cut to something else yeah. and you you haven't even given this person a chance to respond. So the the editing, it, it did have me kind of like, but what was the rest of that? What exactly. was the rest of that conversation? Could I have the entire context? So what we're going to do with a lot of the interviews that we've collected for our upcoming documentary, from Captain Paul Watson to Dr. Dan Ariely to two directors at the United States Environmental Protection Agency, is in subsequent weeks following the documentary, we'll air those entire interviews. So that if somebody's curious about, you know, did we misrepresent anything or was something taken out of context? I believe strongly in transparency, which I think some of that transparency was lacking in this documentary. Uh, again, I think the information was fantastic, but you know, what was the rest of that sentence? Did you give that person the opportunity to defend what they were saying? And I want all of the people that we interviewed to feel like they what they were actually saying was represented in the documentary Mm -hmm. and i'm very confident that 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 will be the case and for our viewers they'll be able to see everything afterwards because we we will air those documentaries or excuse me those interviews as well but and you uh, got captain watson then yeah i mean kip anderson's here you know talking to some of the uh you know some of the lieutenants of of the sea shepherd (laughs) sea shepherd you're you you went right for the Right for the top. That's impressive. We've been very lucky to, uh, I, I've said a couple times to a couple of people who've come on board, like with a budget of $6,000, uh, 
you know, we we have a million dollar cast, in my opinion. Like we have two directors at the United States Environmental Protection Agency. Like I said, the sustainability manager for IKEA Canada, Brendan Seal, came on board. Uh, Captain Paul Watson, I mean, one of the co-founders of Greenpeace and the founder of the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Um, Dr. Dan Ariely, he writes for the Wall Street Journal, has a couple New York Times bestsellers, is a professor at Duke. His TED Talks have over 7.8 million views. He's a behavioral economist, and we want to talk to him about what are some of the drivers of behavioral change. You know, again, those directors at the EPA, the, this list goes on and on and on. I, I don't want to drown out your listeners here, uh, but it has been an amazing experience to, to talk to these individuals. I wonder how much that had to do with your access to these people. Because, I mean, you've just in, in mentioning that, and I don't think that you were doing this comparatively. I'll do that for you. But, you know, you talked to Captain Watson. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you got to talk to Greenpeace. You know, there was a big conclusion that this movie drew from their inability to talk to Greenpeace. Which was interesting, eh? Which was interesting, yes. And, and it, technically, we got to talk to one of the co-founders of Greenpeace. So Captain sure. Watson was one of the, the, the youngest co-founder of Greenpeace. Uh, but his primary focus in the documentary uh, and currently is obviously the Sea Shepherd Conservation right. Society. Just to, to go back for a second, talking about Cowspiracy's relationship with Greenpeace, mm-hmm. you know, there it was another one of those scenes where it was like, I see what you're doing, but yeah. the problem is I can see you doing it. Yeah. Where he takes the fact that a couple of times Greenpeace says, like, keep doing what you're doing, but unfortunately we're not going to be able to help you with this project. Mm-hmm. And from that, he draws this conclusion that, well... Here's a villain. That probably, yeah, well, here's my villain for this piece. Let's ask enough questions that nobody feels comfortable answering on a camera to make it seem like Greenpeace is in the pocket of... Big money. Yeah, of uh, animal agriculture. It yeah. was like it was like you can see him stretching that and trying to kind of force this movie into a narrative. Well, even when he talked to the lady with, uh, I, I forget exactly what the organization was, but it was like the Food and Animal Rights Alliance. It was a food lobby group. And he's like, oh, well, you know, does big agriculture fund any of these environmental organizations? And she's like, well, I don't know if I'm comfortable answering that question. And he's like, he pushes further and says, well, do they fund Greenpeace? And she's like, you know, giggles and says, again, I am not comfortable answering any of those questions. But mm-hmm. it's like he's really like, I can see what you're trying to do. And maybe Greenpeace just doesn't want to answer. Well, and that, that's what I was thinking is that maybe Greenpeace has seen, you know, these Michael Moore style documentaries yeah. where they know that if you're coming in, like, because he clearly has an agenda in, in or they, I should say, because there are two directors, but you know, they have an agenda in making this movie. And that... a valid agenda, oh, might, a valid, might I say. Yeah, no, I, I'm, like, I'm not questioning the validity of it. We eat but... way more meat than, you know, most doctors would say we nutritionally need. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying don't eat meat, but I don't know that we need to eat as much meat as we currently are eating. Sure, but I could understand why an organization that probably gets requests for interviews as much as Greenpeace might kind of see this sort of project coming where they know that the editorial process can really cloud the message that you're trying to get across absolutely because these interviews i'm sure they were hours long (laughs) and you could see these people trying to stick to scripts of like getting their message across and talking about their projects but that's not what he wanted to do he wanted to guide it down this path in order to to gain this you know to, to mine them for this potential for trapping and it was I can't blame them for saying no to that. And then to cast them as the villain and to leave these really insidious implications about what they're up to was, I felt it was really 
it undermined the the integrity of the whole movie by trying to make it into a dramatic piece. That being said, it is interesting when you do look at some of these organizations' websites and they don't highlight the environmental implications of big agriculture. And the fact that they would knowingly kind of push that to the side or seemingly push that to the side, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does ra- raise some flags, which means that maybe we should go, you know, I hesitate to say go down the rabbit hole, but maybe we should follow that path and, and dig a little deeper. I'm absolutely on board for doing that. And I think that the uh, the one woman who worked for the, uh, who did the work in the Amazon. Yeah, Amazon where, Watch. Yeah, where, where yeah. he posed this question to her and she didn't have an answer. And she has that really cool kind of breakthrough moment where she says, oh, you are actually asking really good questions. Yeah. And it's tough to know, right? Because this is my only exposure to this conversation. But she seemed like she was willing to entertain the idea that, well, maybe the lack of conversation stems back to these issues of violence and oppression that have happened in mm-hmm. in Brazil. For, it was Brazil? It was. Uh, one of the numbers I actually I wrote it down because I really thought it was an important number was uh, 1,100 activists have been killed in the last 20 years in Brazil. Like 1,100 environmental activists killed. It's a, it's a tough one to swallow. But that being said, I mean, one of the numbers that the Water Brothers share in our upcoming documentary is that 800 million people every day don't have access to clean water. 800 million people. Like, when I got up today, you know, we have the executive director of the Canadian Water and Wastewater Association, Robert Haller, in the documentary as well. And he's like, you know, in Canada, we'll get up in the middle of the night, stumble down the hall of the kitchen, stick our head under the faucet, and just drink the water in the dark because we trust our water. Meanwhile, you know, as Alex Mifflin said, like, 800 million people don't have access to clean water each and every day. You know, and and don't get me wrong, 1,100 activists being killed in the last 20 years, it's no different than if one child doesn't have clean water every day. I think that is a travesty because I believe that we could deliver clean water. And more better said, I believe we could build sustainable infrastructure in local communities throughout the world that delivers clean water each and every day. And it, you know, it goes back to that old parable of give a human a fish, teach a human to fish. How do we empower people to prosper economically while stewarding the environment, being socially inclusive, and then putting good governance principles in action? It seemed like a triumph of the film for me in that it offered a solution. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the third act of the movie yeah. is here's something that you can do. And here are some statistics that outline you know, why a vegan lifestyle or at the very least like a lacto-ovo vegetarian lifestyle would considerably reduce the footprint that you have on the world. And I mean, that's been a target of a lot of criticism of this movie is people feeling like there was this specific agenda that it was, you know, we're not going to pay attention to any contradicting facts. We're just going to barrel through and try to we're just going to ignore any reason to not go vegan. We're just going to completely dive in and tell everybody that this is the only way to save the world because as much as you want to change light bulbs, mm-hmm. that's not going to that's not going to fix anything. It really just wanted to force feed people this information and it was that singular agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as Tyler, the other the water brother said in and again, I like I've been watching our documentary a lot lately <laughs> as, as the editing process continues. But he's like, you know, turning off the lights at night, taking shorter showers, turning the, the faucet off while you're brushing your teeth. Those are all great little things, but there are so many other things that collectively will have a large, large impact. Yeah, the the scope of 
Cowspiracy did it seemed so very interested in the individual yep. that you know that that is something that maybe was lacking that it seems like you're excited to talk about is the importance of having community working together because the very beginning of the movie is Kip talking about well I started riding my bike everywhere and changing my light bulbs and yep. that didn't feel like enough so then I found out about this other thing and now I'm a vegan yeah you should be a vegan too and there isn't this connection it's just kind of somebody going through their own journey and developing their own moral and ecological stance on something and then saying and now you do that too it was equally empowering but also just kind of like now you're just giving me a separate set of directives and making me feel good about it i guess but did you feel good about it though i i did in some ways it didn't fill me with a whole lot of hope yep um in my in my own dietary choices i uh am a i guess practicing vegetarian not not quite lapsed but you know i since having kids it'll be like okay well if you've got a little meat on your plate i'll just finish it off for you like i'm not i haven't been as strict as as you know and this movie is our kind of a reminder to get back to that so since watching this movie i've been like oh right this is why i'm doing this this is these are the choices that i need to make so for me it was kind of like a rallying for a cause that i already believe in yep but it also it, it didn't feel like this movie is going to create change and make everybody come to that line of thinking it seemed like it was going to be polarizing. The people who saw it and didn't like it weren't going to change their minds. And it was just confirmation bias for people who already felt that way. I mean, I, there might be a few people who, like I've encouraged some of my friends to watch The Cowspiracy. Because I, again, I do think the information is, it has a abundance of quality information. Uh, some of it, again, is a little dated. Other is completely re like relevant. The fact that a cow drinks... 30 to 40 gallons of water a day that over its life cycle to create a, a quarter pound cheeseburger or excuse me, a quarter pound burger. I exclude the cheese, right. you know, it takes 660 gallons of water. Like, it is a pretty mind blowing number to think like that your hamburger, like Captain Watson, one of the things I remember talking to him about, he's like on a boat, we have a very strict water regimen. And he's like that quarter pound hamburger completely throws off my showers for a month. And we're talking about one little hamburger because we view it as it, it's so minuscule, but we forget to kind of hone in on some of those other externalities. And that was one of my other favorite parts of the documentary. There, he talked to a, uh, a lawyer and the lawyer was a, an author of, um, his last name was something Simon. And he, he talked about the externalities that are not priced into items, such as he was like... Uh, a pound of beef or excuse me he went with a big mac and an egg that's what it was and the big mac which cost like four or five dollars the true cost was like eleven dollars so somebody aka society is picking up that you know six to seven dollar variance and then with with the carton of eggs it was like a five dollar carton of eggs really cost thirteen dollars and ultimately you know when you talk about having kids we will somebody is going to pay that cost and Elon Musk, who is a man that I very much look up to, he said, to what extent are we willing to sacrifice future prosperity for present pleasures? And that's something, a question I think we really all need to ask ourselves. I don't necessarily think that all of the lack of conversation about animal agriculture is insidious or mean-spirited or, or at the protection of big industries i don't necessarily think that that's the whole story i think that in a lot of cases a lot of these people who are asked these questions were 
legitimately surprised to be asking those questions or to be asked those questions because in their own paradigm it was kind of well yeah that's part of the imprint but that's that's what we eat so we can't do anything about that let's do something about the stuff that we can change and the movie challenges that and it was something that i kind of wish you just like explicitly called people on like we haven't had a chance to talk yet about the the one problem that we we both sort of had with the movie where you know there was that woman who kind of jokingly said don't put me on the record for this but i mean all that methane that's just cow farts but he never turns around and asks the question like well why does there need to be so much cow fart out there and i remember thinking this as well i remember in elementary school coming across this knowledge somehow is just like a cute piece of trivia that actually the biggest depleter of ozone layers is cow farts and thinking okay well you know we're not going to do anything about that because we eat cows and and we drink milk and not challenging that you know not i mean to make reference to that clothing line i'm not sure if you're from unlearn Mm-mm. do you know unlearn oh it's this uh it's this clothing line that the idea is they put out t-shirts that are in, designed to inspire conversation and the whole idea is to just take something you're familiar with deconstruct it and then rebuild your own opinion of it and you might end up at the same place but at least you've thought about it and you're not just accepting it yep and that's what this movie so much of it challenges you to do even if you don't come out of it and eat less meat or become a vegan which you know i'm not saying that you should or shouldn't i'm certainly let me say i I think that everybody should eat less meat yeah i'm not saying don't eat meat but i strongly believe like the footprint of meat is enormous it's troubling (laughs) yeah but it at least gets you to think about and think about what is this thing that I'm putting in my yep. mouth? What is this? It's not just I am eating this meat because somebody taught me in school that it belongs in the food pyramid. I, I grew up on a farm and it's nice to know where your food comes from. Like we ironically, my father grew and still does grow corn. But a lot of people in our local community come to the such farm for Steve's corn. My father and I share the same name. Um, because they, they, you know, there's that nostalgia to it. There's that tradition to it. And a lot of our behavior is based off of tradition. And so how do we ultimately, and that's why we went to talk to Dr. Ariely, like how do we uh, catalyze behavioral change? And what are, what are those drivers? And is it, you know, a component of those, I do believe will be movies like Cowspiracy because albeit somewhat alarmist, you can't watch that movie and not, reflect upon your own habits which is uh i mean they they talk about at the very beginning of the movie i mean his own inspiration for yeah wanting to create change in his own life was al gore's an inconvenient truth yep i mean that movie swept the world by storm and it seemed so important and now 11 years later it's kind of like oh when i saw cowspiracy i was like oh yeah an inconvenient truth was a thing yep. and it it did sort of changed the way we have these conversations and and sort of brought things to the forefront it's just well if we don't provide the end user consumers a a viable option you know the mission of sustainable joes is to make sustainability easy for all everyday joes how do we make the science of sustainability relatable and easy to interpret or understand for everyday joes all of us i'm really no different than you like sure i lived off the electrical grid for a year and i cycled across the continent but like those are me literally just trying to figure figure this out how do we bring people together um and so until those solutions are present i believe that things like this will come to the forefront but then they will fizzle away you need tangible quantifiable and easy to implement solutions for people 
And it's easy, but there's still a learning curve with regards to becoming a vegan or a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I almost don't fault Cowspiracy for it because I believe that he believes this. Totally. And, you know, it's it's the same opinion I have about anybody who has, you know, an earnest belief in what they're doing. Like, he believes that by becoming a vegan, we can create change that will save the world. So I can't blame him for that, and I can't blame him for wanting to just not acknowledge detractors who he feels are, I should be saying they, who they feel are you know, looking out more for their own interests than for seeking a solution. Because at the end of the day, even if there are some facts that, and I've, I've specifically gone out of my way to read some pieces on you know, how the science and how the facts of this movie are slanted or tainted or maybe they weren't paying attention to peer-reviewed studies that they should have been and things like that but even if you can chip away at it the core message i think really does still stand and that, is valid absolutely yeah, that if we eat less meat and you know not in a just take mondays off as they say in the movie you know if there is a gradual to drastic shift away from that being such a primary source of our own nutrition or excess nutrition. Yep. Then, Perceived nutrition. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. You know, even if us all changing our light bulbs to a different light bulb is a dent in it, that's still a dent that wasn't there before. All and eventually the, all the little actions over a long period of time add up. You know, when you when you call yourself a vegetarian for a long time, there is you know, there can be this sort of game of well, I've done so much good so far. So, you know, like if if now I'm just, okay, fine, I'll eat this thing that has marshmallows in it, which I mean, like, marshmallows containing gelatin that's, you know, made from, you know, from byproducts of animal bones and things like that. You know, if you start to let yourself off the hook a little bit, then... It's a slippery slope. It can very much be a slippery slope. So, you know, this, this at the very least, has put me back on the right track or, you know, where I think that I, I am going to be doing a better job moving forward it brings it into your awareness right mm-hmm. and, you know speaking of it's ironic dr Ariely, one of the things that he had talked about if you want to have real change he's like look to religions because religions are really good at having people instill practices into their life same with like alcoholics anonymous if you don't want to be an alcoholic like it's not like a oh you can have a like half a cup of wine a week It's like you can't have any because now all of a sudden, you know, you say somebody can have a half a cup of wine a week, then it's, well, I'm going to get the biggest chalice I can find and and fill it up enormously. And then, oh, maybe I'll just have next week's this week as well. So now I have a full, full, a really big, full glass of wine. Um, And that that is that slippery slope. Mm -hmm. So how do we change that to move our world in a more sustainable direction? And fortunately, you know, there are movies and there are people who are willing to put themselves out there like Kip Anderson and Keegan Kuhn. And they, 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 they have put themselves out there and they're like, they, as the, the gentleman said at the end, who was actually one of my favorite members. Uh, he was like that, that old rancher from, from yes. Montana. And he was like, if you don't think you're putting your head on the chopping block, whenever you say something in society that kind of goes against the status quo or they be cognizant that you are, or in other instances where you, you could potentially be taking away financial success or monies uh, for, out of somebody's pocket. Mm-hmm. Like if you inhibit somebody's ability to make money, if that person has enough money, they might go like you've seen in Brazil and, and attempt to stop you. Sure. 
But on the other side of the coin, I mean, when you were talking about how we do create change and how we get people excited and how we get them, you know, encultured towards believing in the world and in sustainability, the 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 one gentleman who was he was he the guy who was making like fake eggs? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, there was that one. There was that one guy, and I wish that you know I I'll tell you what, listeners, I will I'll put his name in the blog post. I'll put his picture up and everything where he talked about not just like it doesn't need to just be about removing meat from our diet it's about what we're putting back into it and putting our ethics and our beliefs into our nutrition into everything and then yep. getting that enrichment of knowing that you've made a choice and you're empowering yourself in the decisions about your food and not just the the individual nutrients of what you're what you're bringing into your body and yeah, you're right. It you know that that goes out into everything else that we do. You know, it's it's. I'm about shaking what my head yes because I couldn't agree more, yeah. <laughs> wholeheartedly. I, like we we must inform people, and then from there, you don't want to guide with a super firm hand, but certainly educate. And access to information is crucial, and a lot of people don't know the impact of big agriculture, and this documentary has you know shone a little light on some of those practices and how we participate in those practices as well. So how do we inform people without being, you know, uber didactic? Like this is the way it must be done. Yeah. That's a tough balance to find where you want to, you want to have almost like informed indoctrination without necessarily telling people what to do. You want them to invest in it and believe in it themselves, but you still want them to kind of end up making the right choice. I mean, that's the struggle that we're always I mean, like, that's the eternal struggle of a parent and, you know, of any kind of nurturing society or, or nurturing role for, for anything. But do you believe it's possible? Well, I mean, I have to. Otherwise, it's pretty grim. <laughs> right. I, I was asked one of the hardest questions the other day. Um, a buddy of mine uh, owns uh, upcycle bow ties and he had made a, a tie for me. It's a wooden bow tie. Yeah. Um, for my interview with the minister, and I gave Minister Murray. Oh, I forgot to mention, yeah, the Honorable Honorable Glenar Murray, the Minister of the Environment and Climate Change for the Province of Ontario, is also in the documentary. And I had given the minister a boat wooden bow tie from wood off of my family's farm that my friend Mark had made. We were having a, a tea the other morning, and Mark asked me, "So after filming, do you have more or less hope for the future?" And that was a like, really hard question to answer. Like I always, I'm full of hope. I'm the eternal optimist. But when you, the, the more you go down the rabbit hole, the more you realize like we have to make big change and we have to make big change quickly. So therefore we must educate people. We must engage them. We must, you know, I believe in the, the merger, the marry of education and entertainment so how do we entertain somebody while educating them and then there and empower them as well and then hopefully people more many more people start making the most sustainable choice that's available to them yeah so but, what did you end up what did you end up answering him it was something long-winded like that because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really it's a really hard answer uh simply because you know 800 million people don't have access to clean water every day. 2.5 billion don't have access to clean water and sanitation. You know, 62 people have more accumulated wealth than half of the global population. 3.5 billion people. 
when you look at that type of inequality, as Dr. Anjanette DiCarlo says in the documentary, it's very hard to have fair and just distribution of resources. So how do we change that? Well, you make a movie about it for one thing. Absolutely, right? And, you know, and, and, that's, you know, and that's something that I will absolutely give credit to the filmmakers here and and you and just there are, these people are whether the message is flawed or not they're agents of positive change absolutely and moving towards this common goal of of sustainability like there isn't any message that's going to get out that's going to be able to remain steadfast and flawless and not be damaged under relentless scrutiny and it's really easy to scrutinize people like, I don't know, I'm doing it right now. You know, I had you on to talk about and to, to you know, in some ways criticize this movie. Mm-hmm. But I also am a fan of this movie. And I love Likewise. how it made me feel at the same time. So, you know, I'm doing what I'm complaining about. But at the same time, I, I think that I think it's good. I think it's important. But we also like I will put my face behind my words. And oftentimes I feel that people, you know, hide behind the walls of a message board. And it's easy to criticize somebody, you know, on the other side of a, a screen when you have, you know, your little emoticon pop up. Not emoticon, what avatar. It's a whole nother thing to have that conversation and be authentic and transparent in your own words while evaluating your practices. I remember somebody had criticized me one time and I'm like, I try to make the most sustainable choice I can as frequently as I can. Like I had this thing I call the sustainable now. What is the most sustainable practice I can do right now? while still respecting where I want the project to go. For example, I drove here. I could have, in theory, rode my bike on you know this snowy night in February in Canada, but would that be more dangerous? Absolutely. So how do we do the best we can with what we have? But that goes back to Captain Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek Next Generation when he asked Ensign Wesley Crusher when he, when, you know, his first attempt at uh, getting into the Starfleet Academy and he, he, he failed. He didn't get in. He wasn't accepted. And Picard goes, well, did you do your best? And Wesley was like, yes. And Picard was like, okay. Like, That's all I need to know. But only you know if you've done your best. And so, you know, some of my friends ask me, well, like, how can you like sleep at night or do you ever worry about these things? And I was like, well, every day, like every day, I don't like I took Monday off kind of because it was family day and my mom was in town every day. I work to like, and I do my best to move our world in the most sustainable direction that I can. And so how do we empower people to live lives of passion while still stewarding the resources that are around us for future generations? And that's where I think there's a lot of value in, I mean, I haven't seen your documentary, but at least in conspiracy, (laughs) (laughs) in some cases, even if it's just a reality check, absolutely. Or, you know, just a slap in the face to be like, Hey, by the way, you know, you need to think harder about these decisions that you're making. And then once you're empowered with that, then it's about what you're doing and about finding ways to keep yourself reminded and to keep yourself accountable Mm -hmm. to the choices that you've made and to those commitments. It'll be interesting to see the, the complete fallout of this documentary and or the ripple effects. I suppose fallout's more a nuclear term. <laughs> <laughs> but here's a question for you. Like, when you look at documentaries, what's something that grips you? Because as a, as a first-time filmmaker, it has been a really interesting journey to kind of dive into some of those issues. And then if you even want to, you know, look at Cowspiracy as a documentary, what was something that really, like... This is my favorite thing in most documentaries and Cowspiracy 
got what grade with regards to that favorite thing? I don't talk about documentaries too often. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time when people want to come on, they want to talk about you know this cool new movie they've seen. Well, this was a cool um, new movie. Yeah, it had no, some animations. Sure. Yeah. Um, Made in 2014, not too old. Yeah. When I, you know, when I think about the most important documentaries I've seen, they're the ones that have either introduced me to something new or challenged something that I thought I already knew. And that's the power of a documentary mm -hmm. is it's either teaching you something or reminding you of something. You know, and that's why Cowspiracy was so effective, but also so frustrating because <laughs> it showed its hands so often. <laughs> You'll have to pardon the unfortunate expression, but they really showed how the sausage was made. It was almost <laughs> it, it's almost to a to its own benefit though, that it was sometimes that kind of sloppy editing that we've been talking about where it's just like you're so clearly building a narrative mm -hmm. that it makes me doubt your narrative but on the other hand you know because the product itself is fairly well polished and and well structured that it's almost endearing when it does that because you're like okay well this is somebody who's trying and that earnestness is coming through and again he doesn't seem insidious it doesn't seem malicious it seems like somebody who's just like, I believe this so much that, you know, what's this, what harm will it do for me to give it this extra little push to kind of like sexy it up a little bit? But I do think that's bad. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's wrong. I was and like, I then you get that slippery slope, right? Yeah. No, and I mean, you know, Netflix has done a tremendous job of showing kind of what happens when you believe a narrative and you, and you kind of fudge the truth to make it fit that and calling back to making a murderer here for a second. But I haven't seen, oh, you that haven't yet. seen it. No, do it. I, yeah, I but hear no, it's, it's quite interesting. Surround it's, yourself with much more positive things in your life. It's it's that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> if you want a rabbit hole, good Lord. But yeah, like that's, that's what the movie did well and didn't do well. It did a good job of reminding me of a lot of things and holding me to a standard that I, hadn't been honest with myself about how lenient I'd been with myself. But on the other hand, it was also sometimes like just like a, a not well edited documentary in that it was trying too hard to impose this narrative on itself. What did you think about some of the fishing numbers? I mean, just like a, a at large, like I remember the one was like 75% of the oceans are either overexploited, fully exploited or significantly depleted. It was that was really and, troubling because and that was a UN number too. Yeah, because everybody agreed on it. Yeah, like, that's one that's completely unchallenged. And then you've got the the guy from Oceana. Was yep. that the was that the organization? Well, there was Oceana and Surfrider. I think it was Oceana. The guy, the 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 smug guy who was like, "Well, no, it's fine because we're just basically feeding off the interest." Yeah, and then and then he had that grin on the end, like, "Okay, you got me." Right, and it was like, <laughs> "No, we're talking about like." millions like the, uh, all these billions of we're fish. talking about survival right that's and what we're talking about that that would like if there's a if there's an actual villain to this piece it's that guy's smile because he puts this metaphor together of you know it's like it's like a bank you know like you which the, the 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 metaphor is perfect Right, but then when, but then when it gets thrown back in his face, they're like, actually, we're we've dipped into the principle, seventy five percent into the principle, and the guy's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> What are you doing? Like you just had your entire world thrown apart and you're laughing about it. Like you're who is holding you accountable to this untrue narrative? That well, who is? Spun? And that's the problem. No one. Right. Because we continue as consumers to go to the same stores and buy the same same produce. And that's the issue. Right. Like I remember Eric Henry 
another gentleman who's in the documentary and I am sorry for giving all of these like references to people who are in the documentary but they're like they've played such a substantial role in my life over the past handful of months as we've continued to edit but he's like when we make a financial choice actually you know and we can talk about somebody who's in the cowspiracy documentary again that that lawyer um with the metonomics and the externalities the negative externalities involved in the production or provision of a product or service that we're just not aware of and so how do we change that and it, but again in a hopeful manner and in an empowering manner and i think the way to do that is by showing people the impact and that's one thing that this documentary did very very well like mm. here are the impacts if you want to eat meat one other thing that the movie did quite well is that um when i first just saw the name of the movie and i saw that it was about factory farming i thought mm -hmm. it was just going to be just a, a deluge of animal torture porn yeah i, actually, I thought it was I just gonna be like that too. mutilated animals and like distended nipples and all sorts of like horrible growths and things like that and you didn't get that well not overly i do remember there was like the cow in the in the big forklift bucket yeah remember there, that part right there were some there were some troubling parts where we saw that we saw the the elephants being slaughtered which i just forgot about until now and oh my god but they they oh yeah, of, yeah, the but, elephants. I forgot about the yeah, elephants. Yeah, right. Sorry. Well, and remember the the doc getting the head well, or that, the rabbit that's what I was and the saying, head is that full, you've got the full chop. Yeah, it builds up to this emotional climax where we're talking about all these big numbers, and the narrator, you know, Kip talks about it himself. He says, and we're forgetting in all of this conversation that we're talking about life. Yeah, and that's a different conversation, but it's also part of the conversation that. For every animal that we're talking about here, we're talking about raising and then ending a life. And then he says, he, then he just shows you, he's like, and this is what that looks like. And you watch a duck be slaughtered. And I've never seen that before. I mean, I guess I've seen uh, a rabbit be skinned in, what was that Michael Moore documentary? Yeah, I, I, I don't remember it in the Michael Moore documentary, but I remember it in a different documentary. And they like just straight pull all the skin right off. Yeah, oh, Roger and Me. That's what it was. The the Michael Moore documentary about uh Flint in mm -hmm. Flint, Michigan. But yeah, they just they put it out there for you and you know, you see a guy cut the head off a duck and then start draining it. And even this guy who's been doing this for years, I don't know if I was looking for it or what, but it looked like his hands were shaking cuz no matter how used to it you get, you know, there's still like power to the taking of life. We're so removed from that these days though. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, back to the growing up on a farm. Both of my parents grew up on farms. And, you know, they tell me stories about remembering, like, you know, my namama, which is grandmother in Hungarian, or my grandma on my mom's side, like, cutting the heads off chickens. Like, and chickens apparently do actually run around, like a chicken with its head cut off. And then you have to boil it and pluck the feathers. And, you know, my great-grandma used to reutilize everything to maximize the utility of whatever that resource was. Like, my in a soup i remember her peeling the the stem of the broccoli to put the stem of the broccoli in the soup as well because she was like oh there's nutrition there too after you get like the hard part off but again back to the taking of life if we're so removed from where life comes from or where any of our energy comes from the one i guess the the couple of people who speak to that earlier in the movie are the uh the the free range farmers yeah i was actually meet, just thinking about them who uh they're just these these gosh darn happy farmers yep. who you know, we love animals that's why we raise them and slaughter them and you know we have this 
the this, pig, yeah. This affection for them, and their daughter has named the pig. Exactly. And like I probably that. shouldn't name the pig. Why? Yeah, honey? and they have this connection, and it's endearing, and your inclination is to be like, oh, well, these are the people that are doing it right, and that's where you kind of let yourself off the hook a bit. You're like, well, what if we're doing this? quote unquote sustainably and it's all free range and all these things that we've heard like, that feel good to hear mm-hmm. and then they the, Slap the filmmakers the do the hard the math of it that say like yep. well this is even less sustainable than treating animals terribly and packing them on top of each other it's just letting you know that there's not going to be an easy answer to change it's however not gonna... that was also based off of the amount of meat that people currently eat which right. doctors will agree that is more meat than we need Right. So you're talking about the amplified number, and then you're magnifying that. And, I, you know, I haven't sat down and done the math myself to know how, how it would all work, and I don't think that the movie necessarily... it, it Because it put, shines such a harsh light on the math of animal agriculture, mm-hmm. it doesn't really spend any time talking about the potential issues that would come from a strictly plant-based diet and, yep. and, and those sorts of... And maybe it's just it's not the platform for doing that, but... I'd be curious to know how many women would be anemic on a on a purely vegetarian diet. Like, I don't know, but I imagine that number is higher than zero. But I, at the end of the day, the movie is asking us, well, let's let's find out. Maybe it's not an acceptable reason for inaction if... Beautifully said. If there is a chance that doing something is going to create positive change. What did you think about the those, those California ranchers when they did say, well, you know, well, then if... Animal agriculture is the number one factor in rainforest deforestation. Do you, do you think, like, what, what should they do in Brazil? Do you remember his answer? He was like... Well, he said, well, then they shouldn't be growing cattle. Yeah, they shouldn't eat, that, they shouldn't eat beef. Right. What do no. you think about that? I think that it's... Well, I mean, what the film wants us to think is that that's kind of a lack of self-awareness of, you know, saying, well, you know, if, if they can't do it, then that's, you know, that's their problem without looking at, well, is what you're doing sustainable? Like, you've you've managed to create and benefit from your ancestors because it's a family farm, right? Yep. And your ancestors' ability to put fences around this area and learn these skills, but you're doing it out of habit and you're telling these other people don't do what you're doing out of habit because from outside, I can see that it's not working, but they, they there's no there's no objectivity to what they're doing they're just doing what feels right to them and they're just they're still just going to keep doing what they're doing so well, I, they, I think that we're meant to see them as kind of clueless and most of us are pretty clueless sure you know and, and this whole journey of joe's that i've been on is how do we kind of clear some of the fog so that we can see the, the true problems and then make those problems relatable to the everyday joe some of the numbers were crazy though eh? Methane is 86 times more destructive than CO2. I remember I interviewed Mayor Philip Stoddard, <laughs> and that was one of the numbers he was like, when, when you talk about like methane and you talk about carbon dioxide, it's you really have to look at the whole spectrum of GHGs, so greenhouse gases, and then what, what, what are the drivers or the influences of how those GHGs arrive in our atmosphere, and then what they're doing to the ocean, representing like or recognizing the, the whole systemic issues. Like we have... We're so interconnected, and it'll be fascinating to see how we continue to move forward. Everything else that really stood out were these just more or less list of numbers. You know, that every cow needs 130 to 140 pounds of feed a day. Yeah, that was something that 
That's a lot of greens. Yeah, it was overwhelming how much information was presented. You said yourself as you were watching it, you were stopping to like take notes as Absolutely. if you were going to get tested on it later. And I think that that it was such a deluge of information that all you could take in was the concepts. Like you can't, I I couldn't quote any of the numbers to you right now, but just that it takes a lot of water and a lot of grain to get that that food on that table if that's the way that you're choosing to eat and here is a different alternative that's more efficient so why not and when we talk about global hunger the the other number was 50 percent of worldwide grains and legumes are used to feed animals blew my mind and i mean you know again like i'm the type of person who always wants to dig deeper into those numbers sure but still 50 percent of all worldwide grains and legumes go to feed animals one thing Captain Watson says in the doc that currently cats eat more fish than all the seals in all the oceans and that chickens and pigs eat more fish than all the albatross and puffins in the world. Meanwhile, chickens and fish and cats don't natively eat fish. Fish. That's insane. Yeah. Meanwhile, that other number that he had pointed out, like five to one, the bycatch ratio, like five pounds of bycatch to every one pound of whatever your target fish is. How is that a sustainable fishing practice? That's horrendous. Yeah. Again, like I love rainbow trout. I love Lake Erie perch. I don't eat it these days because I recognize the environmental impact. Yeah. Or I eat it as a treat. Yeah. And that's, that's what, yeah, that's what we don't want to let go of. Right. We're living in a world now where bacon is a food group in yeah. and of itself. Like that's I remember having chocolate covered bacon. Yeah, like it's this many, many years ago. It's this it was delicious. thing that's become this kind of like cultural icon where it's this this symbol of Bravado manliness. Almost. And yeah. yeah, I mean like the whole idea of the baconator <laughs> is that Wendy's wanted to come up with a burger that they could market to university aged men to just say, You're a slob and we're gonna tell you you're a slob but we're going to kind of be in on the joke about it. So as you're putting on your, you know, your ax body spray, here's the burger that you're going to eat <laughs> when you're getting hammered. Like it's, it's crazy. And like, that's, that's what we're doing. And you know, that's what it wants us to do is to not see that as something that we're entitled to. And that it's just, you know, we, we, you can't keep drawing from that. Well, eventually it runs dry. And the bank account is the best analogy to use because when you have no money left in your bank account, you can't build any interest off nothing. All right. Well, I think that it's time to start uh, wrapping up the conversation. So the way that I always like to do so is by inviting you to tell me, since you watched this on Netflix, what star rating this ended up getting in your own profile. As well, if there's uh, I generally like to ask for an MVP. So I guess in this case, was there an interviewer or an interviewee or... Was there any personality that maybe stood out or kind of drove the point home more than more than anybody else for you? So I ended up giving it a four out of five. I didn't necessarily, again, like the aggressive tone that I felt kind of, or the antagonistic tone that, that was in the documentary, but I loved the content. And I wholeheartedly appreciate how they put themselves out there and put that information out there. I wish I could give them higher, like really like a 4.5 would be would be ideal um as for my all-stars in the documentary i would say there were were two one was that lady from amazon watch Uh, i really liked how she kind of came to i don't want to say the epiphany moment like we had spoke of earlier but she did see that realization i also loved the you know the the family free-range farmers 
And it, when he when he said that, you know, well, they shouldn't eat meat uh, or they shouldn't eat beef um, because that goes back to how do you increase local resiliency? And now I guess I'm having three because <laughs> I really liked that that older gentleman uh, who was that Montana rancher. Yeah, I put it in as uh, four stars as well um, for I think I've, I've kind of criticized the movie quite a bit already in terms of how it's constructed mm-hmm. and the the one person that kind of you raised concerns about before uh, before we started recording was just that what did you call it it was like dirty pool or something when when it was just there was like this unethical cut where the woman says yeah uh don't quote me on this yeah but we're talking about cow farts and that just seemed like such a scummy thing to do i yeah for somebody who really believes in you know transparency and authenticity and respect um, I, I didn't think that was a respectful action. If you give your word to somebody not to include it, I won't include it. Yeah. Period. Like it's, it will go with me to the grave because that is just, you know, to bring in a little more TNG. I remember when Worf was telling his son, you know, honor, honor is what you have. Uh, my MVP <laughs> is one of your three. So, uh, Howard, oh, Howard Lyman, that, that rancher. Yep. Because I felt like we were benefiting from talking to somebody who had already been through that journey he felt like he had an agenda, but he had an agenda having seen the whole spectrum of the conversation and developing an informed opinion as opposed to the filmmakers who, and I think intentionally, you know, they, they tried to show themselves as ignorant and just kind of like going from one idea to the next, to the next and seeking information. Howard Lyman seemed like he already had it. I would like to see the rest of his interview. Yeah, oh, he's uh, apparently quite the quite the activist. He's won a bunch of environmental awards and things like that. So I felt like he gave the movie legitimacy and a little bit of gravitas as well that you know, he could get away with being dramatic more than more than anybody else in the movie could. You then know, the producers, he said like, absolutely. you know, your head is on the chopping block and here's what you need to do if you want the world to still be around. Based off of my hundreds of thousands of dollars that I spent in legal bills when my head was on the chopping block. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, Stephen, I really appreciate you coming on and introducing this movie to me. And, Pleasure was uh, mine. Absolutely. I and, enjoyed this dialogue. Uh, I mean, we've talked quite a bit about Sustainable Joes already, but I mean, it, can you can you let the audience know kind of what it is, where we can follow it, what, what the best way to support it? Absolutely. I, the mission of Joes, or I call Sustainable Joes Joes. And the mission is to make sustainability easy for all everyday Joes of the world. Uh, currently, we are making a documentary, and it ideally will be out by the end of March or maybe the beginning of April. Uh, if anybody wants more information, uh, it's as simple as typing Sustainable Joes into Google, and you can't miss it. Dot com, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and we'd love to chat with you about what have you. I mean, our whole idea is hope and solutions. How do we empower the everyday Joe? to move us in a more sustainable direction. Uh, We'll be sure to include links to the Sustainable Joe's website and uh, social media platforms in the the blog post because we, uh, you know, if if you're going to be sharing the same kind of message but doing it with maybe a little bit more transparency and integrity, then I can do nothing but support that. Thanks, brother. I I also hope that you will uh, screen the documentary before it's released because I I would very much value your opinion, eh? Oh, I I absolutely look forward to doing that. I, uh, oh, that's... That's very flattering. I appreciate that. Thank you again so much. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to see the documentary. And uh, when it does come out, be sure to let me know so that we can uh, so that I can let everybody here know Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Ray. <laughs>
and that's everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, reviews, as well as a weekly look at what's new on Canadian Netflix. You can also find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, on Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards like shoutouts on the podcast or customized content, or if you just want to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The opening theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Speaking of music, the piece you're hearing right now is off a brand new album from record label A Person Disguised as People called Odiamo from the artist known as Chinoski. This piece is called What Was I Telling You About? I honestly love this album, so you can expect to hear a lot more from Chinoski over the next few weeks. Thank you so much, as always, for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, baby, you ain't streaming nothing yet.